Welcome to episode 20 from Two on the Tackle here, guys. Zach and I actually managed to hook up a Zoom call with our resident former first grader, Mr. Tommy Simons. We just have a bit of a chat to him, start off about coaches, and then we just end up getting into a bit of a chat about the game in general. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoy the show. Something a little bit different. Peace. Roll the intro. Nice little backdrop. Could be, that, could be the rest of the year. Could be the rest of the year. So, we'll see. Yeah. I, I like the backdrop too, Wiki. Kaz's yeah. backdrop. Yeah, reffing. What's that? What's below the jersey? What's that thing? Oh, it's the uh, 2013 Premiers. Something someone got me for, I don't know, at work. It was a work gift. Oh, it in, Kaz. Yeah, do you, yeah, have, yeah. Do you have to? <laughs> <laughs> Not a very good way to welcome your guest, mate. <laughs> Will, Sorry, you ask? Will he ask? Will he ask? I did. I shouldn't have asked. I shouldn't have asked. Yeah. No, you got it. Anyway, we've got um, Tommy on the show. It's, okay. uh, it's a pleasure to have him on the show. We've got him in today um, just to get a, maybe a player's perspective on a few things that we've been talking about. Zach, did you, Zach had a few questions that he'd like to shoot as well. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about uh, uh, coaches. Mm. So, for mine, um, it's simple. Um, a coach has a huge influence um, on the team and how the success the success of the team. But yeah. um, a lot of it may depend on the roster and um, a well um, experienced roster. In my opinion, is well is better place to do. Um, do well regardless of the coach. Um, an emerging yeah. roster or a younger um, team that hasn't had success, um, it's extremely important. That's that's my take on it. Um, you also have the chicken and the egg in terms of good coaches having good rosters. Um, mm. It's always the um, argument, you know, oh, anyone could win with that roster if you look at Trent Robinson at the moment. Correct. That's, Correct. That's, how, that's kind of the, the, the um, brush he gets painted with. Um, but I would argue against that and say that the roster wouldn't be the roster without him having developed um, most of those players. Obviously, a lot of them have been, or not a lot, but there's been a few purchases from other clubs, just like any team. But they have, yeah. But they they get a lot of players to debut for the Roosters. That's right. Uh, in more recent years, there's been a couple of buys, um, but previous to that, nearly every one of their first graders um, debuted at the Roosters. Um, there's only a, a couple per year that, that hadn't, which is pretty rare, you have to say. So, um, Robbo... Is that, is, that, is that also just key to a... Is that also just key to, like, a really well-run club as well, if you think about the from the administration and, um, you know, back office department, you've got the coaching and recruitment department, and then obviously the playing and the talent roster that you have and their contributors. Yeah. And I suppose they're all intertwined as well, no doubt. Um, but they all sort of lean on different different valves, I guess. Yeah. Do you have um, if you have uh, someone like Robbo, um, and even Des Hasler, they've pretty much got their fingers in pretty much everything that happens at a club. Yeah. Robinson, when he first started at the Roosters, did he have all his fingers in everything? Or no, he I think he had to. I think he had to earn that. Yeah. Um, I think he was quite influential. He's a pretty intelligent guy. Um, and so he's more than capable of um, crossing over into different departments and having, you know, a strategic plan and, and you know, development and managing staff and all that sort of stuff. He, he's more than capable. But at the same time, um, when he started, he was a rookie coach. Um, I dare say didn't take long given he won his first, in his first year to be able to have more say. But I'd say that's continued over time. Um, to a point now where, you know, you'd, you'd say that he's probably um, has a big say in pretty much everything that happens and nearly everything that he wants, I, I dare say, would, would happen as well, um, even at CEO and board level, whereas other um, other other clubs would be completely different. Even whether the clubs have been performing well or not, <clears throat> they're just in a, a different structure. Um, and does this, because this also, like, when you look at, you look at obviously these these teams that have got these great coaches um, 
um, and you know great teams that are quite consistent with success and they have they're very stable off uh, off the field they're not having controversies they're not having money problems and it's a similar teams that sort of are bouncing down in those areas you know when um, the Bulldogs was you know if you other salary cap and changeover administration the Tigers are constantly um, their board is always breaking and changing and, you know, dragons are down uh, fighting within themselves. Well, they've been better lately. They've just had a bit of a bad form recently, more likely. Um, mm. But, and then like, yeah, these, the Gold Coast being sold, you know, I suppose it's, it's so important, isn't it? Just having that actual club support and cohesion. Winning, winning does start in the front office, as they say. <laughs> um, but just, just back to you saying that they do have an important part uh, to play. Um, what are some of the qualities that you found in the better coaches that you'd experience compared to some quality in the not so um, Maybe I'll give you a quick <clears throat> a, a quick timeline of some of the coaches I encountered and then yep. give you some of the things that worked for me and some of the things that didn't. Um, I think uh, whoever I had from the, <clears throat> the 20s, we had Adrian, Adrian oh, Lamb. Yes. He, he's now yep. current current coach in Super League. Uh, by the time I got to first grade, my first coach was um, Freddie Fittler. Um, following that, I had Brian Smith. Uh, Trent Robertson was the assistant coach at the time um, before he went to Catalans. Uh, by the time he came back to, to head coach role in 2013, I was still at the club uh, until the preseason. So I was under him for a little while. Uh, went to Manly, had Jeff Tuvey. Um, and then Trent Barrett for the last six months, but Jeff Duvey was a coach for most of my time there. Uh, we had some other assistants who are pretty well known with um, Brad Arthur um, for a couple of years, um, Anthony Seabold for a year, and also um, John Cartwright. They've all um, been first grade coaches as well. And then over in England, I had Rick Stone, who uh, was a former coach of Newcastle. Um, so they're some of the guys I've had. What seems to have been really good for me um, has been a mix between um, coaches that are able to um, coach uh, skill and game plan, but also um, provide confidence. So I always thrived with coaches who backed my ability and I probably didn't play my best footy with coaches who um, didn't instill that sense of trust or um, confidence in me as a player. So. Um, I think it sounds um, obvious. I feel like that's a pretty common um, theme across players is if your coach is backing you and thinks you're going to do a good job, then you have every chance of giving it a good shake. Um, that's probably um, a starting point. If, if a coach shows you all the confidence in the world but isn't able to really develop you as a player, then you probably don't have um, what, what it takes to get to the top level as a coach, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but certainly at my, um, in my career, some of the best moments were refreshing when a coach backed me and that's when I played my best footy happened. Probably as soon as I played first grade, um, and then when, as soon as I went to um, Manly, when I didn't have to think too much about um, specifics, to was basically just thought, oh, well, you're good enough to play and you've got some good skills, do what suits you and you'll be in the team. And then the same in Huddersfield, um, because I was uh, made to be a big part of the team and shown confidence to do the job, it made me um, not think about it too much and just do my job and, and play well. Um, some of the other coaches where it didn't work out the same for me, um, there was times when, you know, when I was under Brian Smith or, or Trent Barrett, where you probably don't have the confidence um, shown in you at various times and don't perform as well. So that's just my personal experience. Yeah. Clear, um, a clear mind. A clear, mind a clear mind seems to be so important, isn't it? You know, to just give yourself that focus each week for, for anyone doing any task to try and do it at your, your best ability. So, yeah, exactly. Um, it's not necessarily about oh, telling you you're good and all this sort of stuff. Um, the other thing I probably missed um, is a sense of. What, ab um, what about 2 5? <laughs> 25, what a champion of a bloke he is. Um, I had some great years with Wiki. Um, we spent many a good year. Well, it's funny. He, he, um, 
He showed plenty of confidences, didn't he, Wiki? Yeah, he, he showed a lot of confidence, especially in, uh, in our training sessions, considering most of the time uh, consisted of you taking charge of the training session. <laughs> He's a good guy, 2-5. I met 2-5. Been down to some training sessions for 2-5. He's a good He's man. A good, he's, he's a good lad. Yeah, but, um, but back to what you're saying, sorry? Yeah, so the thing I missed um, earlier was probably a real dedication and care to be able to um, take, like improve you as an individual player. So um, some of the coaches that I really um, got a lot of value out of were my assistants at the time. Um, Anthony Seabold um, and Brad Arthur were, were both... Um, destined to be first grade coaches in my eyes, like the amount of time um, and knowledge of the game that they have and the amount of time they put into every player um, was next level. So I always thought they were um, going to be top line coaches, had good relationships with those guys. Yeah. Um, Rowan yeah. Smith as an assistant at, when I was at the Roosters um, taught me a lot, um, had a good balance between um, improving you, showing you where you can improve and what you're not doing so well. But um, if you show the care to be able to um, improve that player, then the player just wants honesty and they're able to learn from it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think if a coach um, is gives critique but isn't able to spend the time and show the player how to improve, then that's where you probably have a bit of a disconnect um, and the player may sort of trust or, or maybe enjoyment with that coach. I think most players, if you ask them, they just want honesty. Um, and coaches who steer away from that and don't want to have a tough conversation purely because they think a player doesn't want honesty, um, it probably steers them in the wrong direction, I'd say. Yeah, yeah it's kind of, kind of intuitive, really. Um, so when you say they're, they're giving you time and have the ability to improve you as a player, I try mm. and think as a, if it was a tennis player, you know, okay, they're, they're struggling with their serve, so you spend time, on their serve with technique and, and repetition and things like that. As a footy player, mm. how does a coach come to you and say, you, how do they improve you as a footy player? What are, what are some of the things they would do? Mm. A lot of it these days is around video. Um, so my, nearly every training session is filmed. And so spending um, you know, 20 or 30 minutes before training reviewing the previous day's session or the, the vision from the game, which is all cut up into clips, could be an hour of your time. If a coach is doing that, assistant coach, for instance, is doing that with every player, it's a lot of time yeah. um, to be spending. But that's what that's where you can get the most growth. You can um, sit there one-on-one, like really objectively look at the things you did, whether it's you focusing on <laughs> an example. Yeah. You know, it might be a, a team thing. Um, for instance, you might have a defensive structure um, about, you know, what you're doing you know, in the defensive line and you might have five clips that you're doing. You might have four that you've done it how you're supposed to or, or one or two that you haven't. Um, and you'll have tips on how to actually improve that or if it's just a, um, a concentration thing, it's just addressing that. Um, it might be reviewing certain, you know, you might have 10 or 15 touches for the game. You might review each of them um, and sort of have a bit of a pattern of what, what's working well and what's not. Um, and identifying those together and going, oh, well, let's let's cut that one, that sort of, you know, line that you're running or, you know, that pass isn't working so well, let's scrap it. Or that one, that seems to be giving us value. Let's keep doing that, um, you know, or, you know, if certain, you know, let's not, let's cut the pass head altogether. Um, yeah, yeah. It could be really anything specific. Yeah. Um, the footy nufties would, would um, love to hear all this sort of stuff, but it can get detailed. It might be... Minor, but to be honest, the whole point. Mate, speak speak to the nufties. They all die. They all die here, zero two in the tackle. <laughs> I think the point though is not necessarily what the skill they're teaching you. It's just the fact they're putting the time and effort in. So you can walk out going, all right, well, I've had a good game or a bad game, but the person's actually trying to help you improve and feel like you're gonna like try and take you to your potential because that's all a player really wants. Yeah. Um, you know, is just to reach your potential and, and try and. Um, strive for that so if you've got coaches who are around you that you feel like are contributing to that and that's all you can ask for if you if you pick first or you're not picked as long as you feel that then you're going to be um, at least trusting and backing the coach if you're not picked and combine that with you don't feel the coach is really doing anything to support you as a player and improve you then that's when you probably get lost and say well, you know stuff this 
Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Start kicking. What, what about when you, so we talk about like some of these, uh, this training, filming, reviewing, everything else, you know, the way uh, this, the way that coaches can support players and, in, 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 you know, their teams and um, all the technology that there is in sort of the game now as well. How have you been at a variety of different sort of, uh, I guess, teams and coaching facilities? Um, yeah, say um, comparing different clubs that you've played at and how, how that may have, how has that differed? Yeah, um, it's probably a good comparison. When I went from the Roosters um, in 13 to Manly, um, it was like chalk and cheese. And uh, the Roosters were well advanced and um, in terms of their uh, medical, in terms of you know technology, systems around the club, um, staffing, all that sort of stuff. Uh, Manly were far from, but had a system that worked really well for the team at that time. So... Um, a lot of older players, experienced players who had been there and done it before. Um, and whilst at first I thought, gee, I don't know how this is going to work, I quickly um, realised how, how it did work. And that was because there wasn't anything overcomplicated. The coach wasn't overdoing it. And it was managing the group of players that you had at the time. Not to say some better facilities wouldn't have helped. Um, no doubt. I'm sure it would have. But what saved um, Manly at the time, and a lot's changed since then, was because they had experienced winners. Um, and that's what I said, that's what I say before. If you have um, an experienced team who are proven winners, um, I think sometimes less is more um, as a coach. Um, not to say that you know, a, a good coach who is a good analyzer, and a good football brain will be bad, but um, they're more than capable of playing their potential if they manage well. And I think that's what Manly had for a number of years. Um, when no, I was knowing, there. knowing when to sort of, when to, when to go and be the coach and when to take that step back and just give the reins on. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, yeah. obviously creating a great environment, you know, it's, it, you know, you can have all the technology in the world, but not have a great culture and a great environment that is set within that team. Um, <laughs> from not just the players and the coaches, but the but whole organisation. In, in resources and facilities, yeah. they made up for in roster, considering mm. that team was backed to the Well, But you compare those two chalk and cheese teams, chalk and cheese in the sort of uh, advancements in the facilities, and, uh, but both very successful clubs. Yeah. And they have their own traits, like, you know, that, that sort of contribute to it. But they both have something really key, which is a great environment of support. If yeah. you're supported. Yeah. You and, and we had a bloody good time at it as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think that's something else that I'm not sure if that'll live on forever, but certainly um, has a place is that if you're having fun, um, there's something about uh, a team and camaraderie that you couldn't rep really see instead of individual sports or sports that rely purely on athletic performance um in rugby league sure there's athletes you need to be fit far strong all the rest but um you know if you look at defense um you may have systems and structures but if you're scrapping and scrambling and just doing it for your mate that's um it's almost an attitude thing so if you're in an environment where you're having fun and there's camaraderie um you're getting on you're enjoying going and training yeah. then you're probably going to defend pretty well if you're miserable and you're spending 70 hours a day analyzing your defense and your coach, you know, you don't like your coach and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then you could have all the um, best defensive advice in the world, but you're probably going to suck. Um, yeah. You're all, well, you're all, lo you're all loving it. Everybody, everybody trusts each other, you know, and they all yeah. want to be looking out for each other. You know, I mm. guess it's, yeah, it's, and then we saw it on the week and we saw it on the weekend. Look at Manly against the Raiders. They lost well, there's one, there's one thing in the that, first five minutes. Well, one mm. thing I want to ask, and you may have the answer, you may not have the answer, but um, some coaches, I don't know if it's innately or if they've uh, built it over time in, in terms of developing, but they have a spice. Some, there's a secret spice that only they have. Not everyone else has them. I think what Zach was saying earlier on, when the, when the results of the premierships are top-heavy, when they're all, when, when half of them have gone to four coaches. Is that right? Was it half? Yeah, just over no. half have gone to those four coaches. Yeah, yeah. and then you they have the secret spice. The... Do you know what that spice? But look, 
but but someone's got looks. You've obviously someone's got to break in, and you know they they all win that first one eventually. That's right. But and if you if you go back what um, five ten years ago, then obviously it wasn't those four. As Zach saying, you got to break in at some point, and no doubt there's going to be um, another coach or two that that comes along that's able to um, sustain have sustained um, success. There's a few in the in the game now that I think. One of the things I was going to say, part of it is like, it is also just opportunity. They, you can be as good as you want, but having the right opportunity to get into the right team, which has a team that can win. Like, you mm-hmm. know, Brad Arthur's got a, an opportunity to, to win a premiership because they've got a great team that has an opportunity to sort of contend for a, a title. Um, he, he's put in a fair bit of work over it. Of course, years. and this and, and this isn't him just debuting. Like he's been around for a long time. He's an assistant coach for a long time. And then how long has he been a head coach since two thousand and four, five years? Fourteen, fourteen, two thousand fifteen, fourteen, something yeah. like that. Five years. Yeah, about five years. So you know, he, he's been around for for a bit. And you know, even Ivan Cleary, same thing. He's been around for a long time. Yeah, yeah. It it's he not often you get a coach like Trent Robinson. Trent Robinson, who comes in and wins in the first year because they comes into mm. a great team, great roster. I've been curious about no no mm. coaches won a premiership after after I think he's coached two hundred and fifty games or something or more. Then if he haven't won it in there, you never win. <laughs> That's ten Well, Brian Smith four grand finals. Chris couldn't get it done. It might even be less than that, but whatever it is, there's a number and Cleary's past it. Mm. We might break it. Um, well, he's made it actually, here, yeah. I actually had Cleary, Cleary um, Ivan in uh, Australian PM's team. So oh, yeah. I've, been, I've been around the traps a bit. By the sound of this comment. Wait, yeah. No, uh, no, it's not you. It's not you. It's not you. It's the coaches. They just, <laughs> it's like a washing machine. They come mm. in and out. They don't last very long, like twos. The twos was the worst one for me. Twos was the worst one for me. When he so, all right. came equal first in 2014, they came equal first, and then they missed the eight in 2015, gone. Sacked. Yeah. It was gone before. Um, it was gone, gone before we even missed the finals, too. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, before you even like, couldn't make it. Basically, yeah. Word started early in that season, and he was oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, that's just a board wanting to go in a different direction. They've decided they want to just take. Yeah, they end up coming back, little bitches. <laughs> and now, and now, you, and now, well, you know, you talk about that when you guys were were there, and um, in, you know, when when you played there in in 2013, and um, obviously that team that had won titles previously with those great experienced veteran leaders. Now we look at it now, and there's a team that went in. Fought like they did on the on the weekend, and was always touted, you know, to be a, a real threat. Unfortunately, you know, Tommy getting getting hurt on the weekend, but hopefully back nice and healthy soon. That that culture is still there, you know. I guess, and I, I guess there's other there's new leaders there that nah, are there now. Nah. Daly Cherry Evans is the, the obviously the captain. It's Des so got, obviously Des and Des Hasler's there, like no doubt. Like that's that's what it's going to play. I know you got then, they still the 13, It's still the thirteen guys on the field. Still the thirteen guys on the field. So who? Des has the secret like spots. I'm telling you, he's got a little secret spots. He's not sharing. Who, <laughs> who? Who are the leaders on the field for for Manly that will you know that I guess or is it just a great group as well? Like it's you know that, there is something in Manly. Is there something just in yeah. New Jersey? I I really rate um, how far they've come. And I have to say, if you rewound a couple of years back, I I wouldn't have, even though I'd probably be a little bit biased for them, I actually wouldn't have seen it coming as strong as and as quickly as, as it's been. Um, they've obviously got um, Jake and Tom and Cherry, who they've built a side around. Um, but those three um, are uh, the kind of enough to, to kind of give the team enough confidence that we've got um, you know, enough good players here to win win games and then everyone else around them play is playing their role and that's where I think um, as Wiki's point, touching on that Des factor um, just getting guys to, to do a good job um, to support those three it's interesting um, setup and the way that 
um, they've structured their salary cap around them, but it, it seems to be working really well. It, it sucks that um, Tommy's injured again. Um, yeah. yeah. They're, they're in a good spot. And they're, they're, the good thing is those guys are going to be there for a while. So there's no reason they won't be able to be a top team for a, a few years. For, for, lack of yeah. a bit of, for lack of a better term, would you say that it's similar to how maybe Melbourne might have structured their cap for so long? Yeah, it's certainly the same same sort of model, you have to say. Um, Melbourne have... Uh, did that and then also had success um, around that for a good 10 years after it. So I guess we'll wait and see how it pans out. But if you look at Melbourne as well, they had um, a heap of guys that um, ended up leaving because they'd played so well there under Bellamy's, made them great players, and then their value had just increased so much. For the club to try and keep all of them, they couldn't. So, um, And a similar sort of things um, happened at the Roosters the last few years where each year, they've probably lost two players um, that have gone elsewhere for quite a lot of money. Um, and not surprisingly, they probably haven't had the same success. The same has happened to when players have left Melbourne on really big money deals. Um, just mm-hmm. goes to show the importance of being in a good system with good players, good coaching. Yeah, that and makes yeah, sense. Yeah. You obviously and I suppose you've got everyone to... else around you is better. It's and like you've obviously got to... about Dave Byrne for Queensland. He, he says it was easy. It wasn't saying that it was easy. This point was being when everyone else plays so well, just makes your job so much easier. Hundred percent, it's so true. And then because he got the then like you look at the roosters there and you get guys like these Morris brothers who come and play for I don't know what they signed for, but you know probably not loads. Like but they come to play. They want to come play for a chance to win a title and they want to come to a, like a good organisation and bang and look how good they look. Like they both look <laughs> like they're the best in, they look amazing. Like, yeah, they are absolutely dominating. It's good to see. Um, like, good like fellas, good Morris, I think Brett Morris is the best player in the competition. Like, honestly, like, <laughs> he fucking, he won the Dal, he won the Dal- M. Like, it's so funny. You know what? It's a really good point because um, you look at where they've been previously and teams that haven't been doing as well. And whilst we all know they've been, decent players and they've been rep players for a long time. You wouldn't have seen them playing this well at this stage of their career, yet they've come to the Roosters. Um, it's, yeah. It's it's, yeah, well, the person who's flying at the Roosters, though, Victor Radley, which brings oh, us on to this last point before we finish, because we are running out a bit of time here. Um, 13's in the game. Last mm. year, we had a plethora of fullbacks. This year, yes. we've got a plethora of 13s. Love it. I love this conversation. We've spoken about it many times over the years and the, the, the game has evolved and the positions evolved a lot. Yep. Um, now, there was a time where you were a little sneaky, potential to be a little 13. I think you might have played yeah. 20s at 13 because um, you obviously um, grew up playing in the halves. Mm. With this trend of football nowadays, do you think uh, your style could have played in the middle or is there even a twist to what it was back when you were playing? Or not when you're playing, but when you're a teenager, I'd say. Um, well, I'll start with the current situation for yep. a touch on making it about me. Um, I am loving the fact that the the locks have got a, a role to play again. And that um, I don't mind the fact that each team is kind of deciding to use their lock in a different way. Yep. I like the fact that it's not just a one-size-fits-all approach. Um, obviously, like 20, 30 years ago when we were... Um, you know, just starting out in the game, um, lock forwards were, you know, known to be tacklers, um, potentially, you know, ball players, a bit of a jack of all trades, a, a bigger 5'8", almost, um, you'd say. That's yep. what we grew up in. And by the time we were, um, and by the time I'd started playing first grade, your lock had turned into your third front rower, um, which we, always, we were always frustrated about, right? Um, I personally didn't like it, didn't rate it, but that's just how it, how it was um, and so it was never really a viable position um, for me at particularly earlier in my career um, the way that it's the way that it's um, being used at the moment as you said Victor Radley absolutely killing it Jake Trebojevic they play a very similar role they they're almost like a, a halfback um, but they have the ability to um, create room for for their halves and the outside man but also just carry the ball tough make a million tackles. Yep. So that, I love what they do. Ken Murray, um, similar. He's probably um, more of a ball runner than a ball yeah. player. He's but just got that skill uh, and that speed, doesn't he? That's and right. That momentum and momentum. Right. Yeah, so he's, he's um, quality. I love watching him play as well. 
You've probably got some other guys who could play. Yeah. Uh, who is it? Brown Ricky? from Parramatta. Nathan Brown. Yes, Nathan, so he's a Nathan bit, Brown. Yeah, he's, he's pretty. A, he's, he's a, a he's a he's a different kind of thirteen, isn't he? Like when you look compared to those guys, he's he's that energy. Like he does, he's got an offload in him. He's you know he can have just evade tackles and just get second phase stuff happening, and he mm. just seems to like him give the whole team energy. Just be yeah. on the field, and they have confidence. I love it, and he's he's what you'd say what we'd know as a footy player, right? He's just yeah, hundred percent. He's just a footy player, mate. Yeah. Um, which is great. I like seeing them back in the game. Um, uh, personally, that's always been um, something I've loved. Um, and I'm glad that the game's still got the ability for these type of players to be playing, not just the athletes. Um, yeah. But the best 13 of them all is who's the best 13 running around at the moment? Too. Jason Tobolo. He's yeah, not bro. No, he's not a ball player, but the thing is, he's not a front rower. Like, he's the size of the front rower. He's, like, as fast as a centre and just has footwork. footwork. He's, you know, he's, he's just a lion. The motor? the motor on him. Yeah, he'll, be play, he'll, play, he'll run 300 metres and, and make 40 tackles. I just yeah. make 20. You need to come 30. out. He's like, I'll give you a 20 metre hit up. Well, why doesn't Payne Huss play 13? Well, yeah, sorry, I'd, argue I'd argue he's probably still a front rower. I'm sure he could play a third. And this is the thing. It's so adaptable now. If, if the Broncos had um, Payne Haas at 13, um, and who have they got? They've been using Carrigan. Carrigan. So the Broncos are basically playing with three middle forwards um, yeah. at the moment. But that's probably because it might not necessarily be because of the coaching style. Maybe because... That's what their their cattle they've got. If, I think if yeah, they, they got a lot of injuries. They got a lot of injuries at the moment. Well, They're missing heaps of guys. So. And, that, and that's the thing that makes sense to me is you've got to um, base your thirteen in particular around who you have in your team. So it's no point having your thirteen as another front rower if you've got um, someone like Victor Radley or Ken Murray. But in the reverse, um, there's no point trying to get um, you know someone from your team to try and play like Victor Radley if they're just looking, you know, if they've got the passing ability of a standard front row. So you have to be adaptable. And I like that people are, uh, teams and coaches are being adaptable um, now. It's yeah, good, they've, good. they've got their own spice on the, the, the sort of playing styles based off who, you know, they got. And you like, you look at Melbourne, they've got Dale Finucane who plays 13, um, you know, mm-hmm. and, but then they've also got the cheese, who's now just like just put him in front row, just get him in the That's middle right. as well, just have both of them. Like, yeah. So is that, is that just that that middle part that because of these these rule changes, is the middle is just becoming more and more important now in sort yeah, of what absolutely. you're trying to offer there. And not just so that you got the nine, the nine and the thirteen, or they're the new, you're your new six and seven. Like they're not, but like they're they're a different in a different channel for a different reasons. Mm. Um. To answer your question earlier, Wiki, about um, if I would have ended up there, yeah, yeah. I'd have been playing now. I think um, when I went to England, I ended up playing more of a senior role. I still played as a back rower on the edge, um, similar to how I played most of my first grade career. Um, but I have to say, if I ever reached my, if I reached my potential, um, which I don't ever feel like I really did, um, there's probably spurts where I was okay. But if I was playing as good as I possibly could, I may have ended up there um, out of, you know, just basically what may have suited myself and the team the best. Um, And at the time, as we spoke about earlier, when I was playing, most of my career was when uh, clubs were employing a bit of a three front row system. Um, Yeah, correct. For me to have broken that mould and played um, a bit like the, the, the locks I've been speaking about earlier, I would have had to be really at the peak of my game and dominating to be able to sort of demand that shift in philosophy. So, I don't know. We'll you, see what happens. You, you, you basically debuted either 10 years too early or 10 years too late. Honestly, yeah. like 2000 or 2020, like, it's sweet. No worries. Let's do it. Yeah. It well, just went this, it went this way, didn't it? Mm. It's funny. When Wiki, um, it's actually looking back, when we, as Wiki said, when I was playing my last year before first grade, um, I'd sort of transitioned a little bit from a six to a 13. And that was purely because we had some decent halves. And we thought um, when we're in the under 20s, well, it'd be, um, it wouldn't seem right just to 
park you on one edge and play as a back rower. So let's put you in 13, you can do what you want. Um, which is you've got, you got size and you can defend. I know you like tackling, Tommy. Yeah, yeah. got a bit, of, a bit of presence about you. But, I did, but, I, I did. but back to that 13 and how the, the game is changing and evolving. I'm, I mm. want to challenge the game, challenge the game to change the names of these positions. Mm-hmm. Now, the hooker is no longer a hooker because there's no hooking in the ground. So we can. Yeah, so that, that's gone, dummy half. But maybe not necessarily change position, but change the... So he's not called a hooker anymore, he's called a dummy half. And the number that he wears, because he's at the back of the scrum nowadays, is 13. So Jake French should run out with 13 on. Cam Smith, number 13. Andrew McCulloch, number 13. And now these 13s, so the Jake... Six Chibor, by seven. Six no, by seven, 13. They go into number nine. Because they're actually packing into the front row now. So Not they number four, number nine. A front rower that can ball play or whatever. I don't know. Who cares? He can still be called a lock or whatever. It doesn't really matter. But the dummy half doesn't go there in the middle at hooker anymore. He goes at the back of the scrum. So technically, he's actually the lock. So he's the lock now. I see what you're saying. So you're saying the name itself, lock, is referring to locking the scrum. Yeah, correct. And the person can, who can, locked- the person who locks the scrum nowadays is the makes a bit more sense. Is the dummy half? Yeah. I, okay. I, I think. Can we going on on the same? The you know, we're in the same. I go in the same direction. Will will scrums ever be out of the game? They'll always have the big man hug in the middle because they can do. They can have a scrum play like because mm-hmm. it's so it's so funny. Like where if you were like when I've I've watched it with friends. Uh, who are like overseas friends who never watched the game, and it's always the strangest question that you get is like, "What are they doing? What are they doing?" Yeah, it's um, it did it, it's kind of died a bit of a slow death the scrum itself, but the reason it's still important is because it just basically parks the forwards out of the way for one play, um, which yeah. is still a great thing. And one of the most underrated rule changes, in my view, is um, the scrum being able to to choose um, where you pack the scrum now as an attacking feature which is now um, meaning that teams, if they don't use that as an opportunity to attack, they've wasted it. Whereas yeah, I think that's how teams should have approached scrums previously. But exactly. Whatever, exactly. for one reason or another, um, many, many teams didn't decide to use the scrum as an attacking weapon. Um, I certainly don't. I don't agree. If I was ever, yeah. coach, I, I wouldn't have done. Agree. It that way, you got you got space for you got space for all your Ferraris. Like give yeah. just give them a, give them a go. Give them the ball. Yeah. You know? So so now obviously they've um they've changed that rule and clubs uh you're basically trying to make use of that and it's absolutely stupid not to do that. Um, now, but it has brought has brought scrums back into the game and I'm enjoying it. One thing I'll say, you know, you've seen a couple of these plays where they've got the scrum like I guess in the middle or maybe just say just to the right of the post, they've got the space out to the left, and the guy will pick it up from dummy half and then the forwards will break. And then they'll pop an inside ball straight in there. And this is where it's like, okay, well, these guys were like, you see, there's two, these, there's two guys that are kind of like standing like that. And then they're like, and then bang, that guy breaks from the scrum and he's, he's the one making the line break. So it's mm. just like a really funny, like, huh, in the game. But like, you know, it's, it, it, we just accept it. It is what it is. Yeah. But I just think if we started the game, today, I mean, look, we wouldn't have a scrum. 2010. 2010 Roosters grand uh, qualifying final against the West Tigers when when Hargraves got hit with the fucking high shot from Simon O'Dwyer straight in the face and then they packed the scrum and they're like pushing the ball and the scrum just breaks. What a fast. What a fast. And Fred Paul just fucking falls on the ball. From like, he's in the second row and he just fell on the ball and they went, play on. <laughs> Just play on! Oh my gosh. The Roosters, <laughs> oh my gosh. The thing is, though, like, it was just the most amazing karma. game. It and, like, it's the, the fact that it went for an, yeah, It should have been a penalty. It should have been a penalty. Mm. So he sort of just turned a blind eye to what the Roosters <laughs> are doing. So, <laughs> Absolutely. What What about um, speaking of that, that play you were describing, Zach, um, with the little inside pass? Uh, another grand, big grand final moment off the scrum is when the Sharks did it against the Storm in 2016. Yeah, 100%. Benny Barber scored off that exact play. I think did he was... He packed, straight, yeah. straight up the middle of the scrum or just to the side of it? To the side. So I think he might have packed in a lock potentially. Yeah. Um, 
something yeah. from memory. And I think Gallon passed it to him, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah or something. But, uh, I don't know. So, is that what happened? Maybe it could have been. Yeah, something. yeah. No, I think it yeah. was Gallon. I'm yeah. pretty oh, sure Gallon, maybe Gallon, yeah, maybe Gallon was at um, Locke and Barber was at. Um, I think he's in the second. I think he just might have been in the second row, and he just popped out yeah. to the side, didn't he? And then he just went bang and just, see yeah. you later. Got the space. It seems to be yeah. more. Cre- they got to, You love that creativity when you see, you know. Mm. Uh, like I love that play. Was it that Manly did last week, where um, Trebojevic was the dummy, and it just come and Cherry Evans was just sweeping all the way around, like. Yeah. Week that before, was, I think that was yeah, that was that was a ripper. That was against the Broncos two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, two yeah. rounds ago. Yeah, the it's good direction. I love, love that sort of stuff. Um, it's probably um, one of the bad things about how professional the game gets is um, those are the type of things that you'd like to practice at training, and you might practice it for like you know all week. Um, you might get to do it once, but unfortunately, you spend you know ninety percent of the game just tackling and. Um, basically yeah. running into each other and running back and forth and doing all that fitness. So you don't actually get to spend as much time on that sort of stuff as you might like. <laughs> that, that's the fun just back in your back in your backyard when you grew up playing footy, all the little things, the, the inside ball game. And Wiki, Wiki is a big component of the inside ball game, aren't you, Wick? Yeah, just trailing them behind me. Yeah, yeah. Me, me and Wick always, whenever we were play, playing rugby, we'd get our little unders and overs plays just bang, you know. Tell me, tell me, lads. Um, two, two in the tackle. How's, um, how's your predictions for the season um, panned out so far, and how, how are your predictions shaping up for the rest of the year in terms of some of the teams to to win it, and some of the teams that might um, have a crack and and be competitive. Well, I think obviously the Roosters are out in front at the moment, as we've seen. I mean, we've got a you know a little while yet to go in the season, but it's. It's them in front and who's challenging. Um, it fucking sucks to see Turbo get injured because I, I have a little... Were you expecting the Roosters to be um, favourites at this time of year again? I thought... To look, all the season... Look, if you go back before the season started, I thought we would be, you know, one of the favourites again this year. We'd be somewhere around the top four and be one of the favourites, like pre before any season started. Then obviously we dropped the first two games... I didn't worry because I've got reason, you know, if they've proven not to, to sort of worry about those things and, you know, Boydie mm. and that was, weren't playing. So, but seeing the way they won since we come back from the break has, yeah, that's surprised me. That's, mm. this is like, it's, they've conceded 28 points in four weeks and scored 150. Like, it's phenomenal. Like, you, Kyle Flanagan's kicked 32 goals. Like, it could be, it could Wiki, be I know you're very one eyed. What, what do you think, Wiki? Uh, well, they're, they're, and... they're, they're playing like better than everyone at the moment, but I think the, it's, the it's real shape away, of the competition is how there's been a, is a clear, distinct top eight and there's a distinct bottom eight, and that the bottom eight teams they're, they're literally just making up the numbers, they're deciding who's going to be their coach next year. You know, the roster management that's all they're really doing this year is putting together a competition and trying to shape up for next year, i.e. the Warriors come out and said today that's why they've sacked their coach. Uh, whereas the other eight teams, the current top eight, I think it is, or was it are the Cowboys out now? So I think it's the current yeah, the cow, cow, it, yeah, the Tigers are ninth, Cowboys are tenth. Yeah. And then, so the current and then eight, I think you've got like in, Dragons, Dragons, no, I think who's eight? competition shaping up. Who's, really. who's eight? South. South are eight. South, South are eight, yeah. Yeah, they're going to hold on. Finish eighth, but the eighth best team is significantly better than the ninth best team. Do you think South will finish? Where do you think they'll finish, Wiki? Mm. Um, well, I, I don't like to put a number on it. I don't think they're going to finish in the top four, though. Okay, so, so you think they'll be in the eight? Five to five to eight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think they'll make the eight as well. Look, the only thing is, well, I think that like the Tigers, the Tigers when they. They look like sometimes they can be a team that can be in there. Like they've got the, but they just don't have the consistency at the moment. They don't have enough superstars, um, and they don't have the class. And what's the the Cowboys like? There's a lot of good players there, but there's just not a. There doesn't seem uh, to be like a lot of cohesion or anything going on in that team. Like they frustrate me. They at, at their full strength, they've got an absolutely outstanding roster. Unbelievable team. Unbelievable. 
Cowboys. Absolutely. But look, this is a comparison where people say, oh, they're not that good. If you put, um, that's exactly the same sort of roster as like if you put Bellamy and um, Robinson with their team and they're winning, everyone go, oh, yeah. of course, of course you win a comp with that yeah. team. That's, yeah. that's I, a couple I, of I, roster I, I, pre-season, I was like, they're my smoky for a top four. I mm. thought they're smoky for a top four. Like they'll be top four. They'll be in the eight this year. Yeah. Now, mm. I mean, they'll miss Morgan. Um, but like still like this Tamalolo, man, like look what that. He's like just he's two and a half men. And they're, you know, in the middle there for them. So, um, mm. they've, but I don't know. They're funny. They're a hard team to tip. Where do you think South will finish? Will they, make, will they be in your top eight? Tom? Who's uh, who? Who? All right, I'll throw it this way. Who? 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 Which of the teams that aren't in the top eight do you think either should be in the eight or will most challenge? Yeah, that's that's the only reason I'm um, giving South eighth spot. Um, I think South could maybe finish between eight and eleven. Um, I think, as you said, Tigers. I'd like to see more from the Cowboys um, and even the Sharks. I don't think I think they're. Um, I've got a roster. I've heard good things about the coach, although I don't know him personally, Johnny Morris. Um, so I'd like to see if he's able to get them back into any sort of form at all. Um, they've had sometimes yeah. with those, they've just having a few of these. You always, I notice so often clubs that have some off-field issues pre-season, and it can just carry forward and um, just hang over a club. You know, we saw it with the Panthers last year; like they had a poor year with a good roster. Um, yeah. but they had a lot of that stuff come up pre-season so it happens yeah, so the, often and a big thing for the Sharks as well is um, injuries and um, injuries aren't always they're not always luck but um, they've had injuries to their key players um, and whilst ever that's happening it's always a distraction they're never quite at their peak um, if you look at the top teams um, it just doesn't seem to be an issue whereas the Sharks their best players um have all had um, inj- injuries and been on the sidelines. We've got Moylan, Fida, um, mm, even you know, Jay Townsend um, missed his I first think, game for a long time. I think they're, I think they're a different team with Matt Moylan. They're a different team with Matt Moylan in that side. They he's so um, much better with him. Absolutely. I, I think he's... Um, he's a key to that team. He's a top-line player, but again, um, unfortunately for him, he's not managed to stay on the field um, and that just has such an impact on what level you're able to get to do you think with do you think with all these injuries like we're seeing obviously we have all these concussion protocols now as well where you've got a lot more guys coming off the hias which um but and and the game has just gotten so even more physical and fast and explosive and there's a lot more injuries and all these things happening should they extend the bench to five I don't so like I'm, it. I, 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 no, now what I, what I, now what I, what I mean. Well, why don't you like it first? Okay. Just so first, first like let me explain it. it. Let me explain it. No, so you, so say you still have eight. How many do they have? Eight interchanges now. You still get eight interchanges. You have got five interchange players. He's not an 18th man. He's on okay. the bench. The okay. coach, you can, you can use him throughout the game. But there's a chance you could like, you, the like guy. How many times have we seen a team where they've lost two guys straight away, and like they've been HIAs? And then like three on the weekend. Well, if you've got five on the bench, like if you lost three guys, like that's disastrous. But at least you've got two guys on the bench. Mm. You know, a team can a team can carry it back and have four forwards and they can use it throughout the game, but they have it because there's like there's gonna be an injury. How often do we see a guy's like he's not coming back today? Mm. Well, you know, I know uh, they want to have this fatigue on these players, but like fuck, like they're getting hurt. <laughs> I'm open I'm open about it, Zach. I think um, I certainly prefer a five-man bench than the 18th man concept with HIR. I think um, we we did ran some stats last year at LPA um, around that because I wanted to find out exactly what sort of impact. And I, I believe it was only something like eight games out of you know 192 where the 18th man would have actually been able to come into play. Um, for me, that is a hell of a lot of a um, uh, a mindfuck for a lot of players for a lot of weeks just to get eight um, HIA replacements that arguably uh, may not play that much of a role in, the, in those eight games anyway. Um, so for mine, I'd rather stick with your team that's playing or not. I don't like the 18th man for that concept because you could have 18th man. You, well, you've got a bench. That's what your four benches, your four um, reserves are for. They're for 
um, obviously for fresh people, but their injury. So you could have, if you go to 18th man, then all of a sudden you get starting to get two HIs a week. You go, oh, we better carry 19th man. And then, you know, so where do you stop? Um, I'm, I'm happy to leave it at 17. But if you have five live on the bench, um, mm. I'd be happy to see how that plays out. And mm. it, it, the problem is if you, if you have low interchanges in total at the moment, um, it's eight. So you're likely to have someone that's going to sit on the bench most games anyway. But I'm, I'm all right to explore that one. Yeah. And another well, thing, you know, you can get when you do, when you have five on the bench, is I remember this thing that I learned listening to the Wallabies in 2015. They changed the way that the game was played in the sense that you don't need, like a guy might come on with 30 minutes to go and finish the game. And a guy might play 60 straight. Do you know what I mean? I think the, the, fifth, the fifth person there, one, it gives you an extra person there for an injury. It allows you to cover more positions on the field. Um, you're not getting any more interchange. Like, you're not going to get nine or ten to help with the, you know, so you can come back off and all that. You don't necessarily need to change anything like that. Just You just have a bit more variety. And where's the line? Well, we'll just make the line five because teams learned how to do four for a long time. Well, and, and, and to be five. honest, and if it, look, if, if it was to go to five and at the moment we're at eight interchanges and they're, already, they're talking about that they want to cut it down to even less, could we see rugby league go to back to rugby style where it's like these are the guys, once they're off, they're off? Yeah. Or yeah. maybe, maybe yeah. We could. I, I'm really I, hope it, I kind of hope yeah. it does. I don't want it to get I, that far. I just, I get worried when um, we have such a good game, such a good product, we're watching it, numbers are high and everyone is always wanting to change. And I just worry that we get really obsessed about it and we don't think about um, what, what we're actually hoping for in these changes. And an example of that is like, oh yes, let's just change it and we'll go lower and lower and lower with the interchanges. What exactly are we hoping for here? Because we know if we think about it, um, the lower interchanges we get, it turns more into endurance. You're then going to lose um, what type of game you're playing. So it's going to become more yeah. endurance. Yeah. About, you're also going to change the type of um, athletes and the players on the field. So as long as you're actually okay with that and that's what you're intending, then sure, we'll think about it. But most people don't think about that when they're talking about reducing interchange. They just think, oh, well, we'll make everyone more tired and that's going to lead to better footy. Well, if making more people tired First of all, that might just make more errors. But second of all, it just changes who the coach is going to pick. And they'll just pick yeah. someone who's fit. So if you, do you, if think you this, just want Yeah, so that's my do, view. Do you think you just, the, it just... Like, it, it gets out there and, look, the journos are a big part of it and they throw it out there in the web and it spins around and it spreads across and a bunch of people and their mates and they start all saying the same thing. And then all this Absolutely. noise gets... All this noise gets heard and the NRL goes, oh, we've got to change. We've got to try and make it better. Um, absolutely and then all the time we've changed it and then even even at this like man I, I, we're going to start a new segment on this show every week we're going to talk about what the new thing that Kenty's blowing up about because I dead set <laughs> I dead set swear to God Paul Kent does not like rugby league I don't no. think he likes rugby league because he does fucking doesn't have a nice thing to say about it like he's a negatron he's negatron he gets mate unfortunately unfortunately with the way that um traditional media still still set up and still um functions by um clickbait negativity and um outrage outrage culture outrage yeah. culture well, well, the, the isn't audience, that our fault isn't that our fault as the consumers shouldn't we be consuming positive stories as opposed to uh outrageous stories well we can only consume what's out there though as well and that's when that's that main funnel of noise that's where most of the noise is coming from it's like try imagine going to a festival and there's a massive speaker and it's pumping music and you're like just don't listen to that and it's like all right <laughs> well what do you want me to listen to like oh you know it's right there it's banging at me yeah, right. we're, we're um we're very passionate about um as a player i was always massive on that um as well changing the perception um and changing the media but um even now as a players association we're super strong and trying to like provide um the real voice um like the players insights and promoting um and also building relationships with those journos who are keen to um you know shift the dial and not just go straight for that negative um sort of stuff but at the end of the day the the negative um press still gets um attention so the daily telegraph readers um, they make up a lot of rugby league viewers, but 
I am happy to say that players um, and non-traditional forms of media like social media, um, a lot of the newer platforms are creating good relationships with players because um, they basically portray them in the in the truthful way. And in, you know, you can see some of the online platforms now that are um, popular with the rugby league audience and with players. Um, they're just telling it how it is, and and they're getting cult following. So I'm I'm glad to see that's happening. I, it's definitely an area I think is growing across like all you know all all sports media, no doubt. With you know, as you said, with social media and podcasts, and there's a different way that people receive their information now as as we sort of evolving, and it really is going so much more digital, and there's so much more independence where you get to see this authenticity. You know, you've got um, you know other people who have gone out and and they're providing. You can anyone can provide content, and it's really growing in that sort of sense. Um, which is awesome. We're going to get a better look. We don't need to listen to this bullshit. That's it. Just like you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly right. right. Get yeah, around it. Yeah. Two of the tackle, mate. You can find us on Instagram. Yeah. Who do you think? Who's, who's challenging? Who can challenge for the title? You know, obviously, um, I think I think Parramatta is showing like that. They they got something rolling there. They definitely you know could you know they obviously we've got a long season to go, but yeah, they're definitely um, showing showing something. I think I'm a, bit, uh, I'm a bit unsure about the Canberra Raiders. Raiders, um, I was, I think they they've still got a fair bit to um, prove. I probably haven't been as hot on them as maybe some other clubs uh, and, and some other people. I know that was like they were pretty much favourites for a lot of the year um, and still rated quite highly. Um, I think the Storm was still going to be there or thereabouts. Um, but my oh, wow. overarching <laughs> thought before the recommencement of the season. Um, and I probably still stick to it, even though the Roosters have shot out, was that um, the the best teams and the most dominant teams in the last few years have would be coming back to the field slightly, and some of the teams that have been developing, such as um, Para, Manly, um, you know, the Raiders, Panthers, Knights, these sort of clubs have would show improvement, and therefore you genuinely have a lot of competition. So... Um, as, as it's been four weeks, Roosters are clearly above that, but I still see that playing out for the rest of the year where you've got the genuine six or seven teams that um, are competing and come in mm. you could be, could be thereabouts. Yeah, well, the, but, the, the, the Knights and the Panthers, the Knights and the Panthers are really obviously the big, probably the big surprises this year. Um, yeah. But they look great. And the defence the defense is probably what's most impressive. Because they've always Absolutely. been able to put points on, and they've just been able to, even when they've played a bit clunky or or average. These weren't so surprising. They were in the semi-finals in 2018. We went to that game, uh, Sharks and the Panthers. Mm. Who has it? That's when the two boys were conceived. But that's another story for another <laughs> day. But the this, Panthers. This is I, I didn't expect. I didn't expect to see the Panthers look look this good. You know, I thought, oh yeah, they could, you know, they could be there. They're around the eight, but like, mm. but they actually look like they look like they could be finishing the top four. You know, potentially this goes back to where we all started with this this evening's um, chat is about coaches. If you look at the Knights, yeah. um, uh, Adam O'Brien, everyone's rated him. I've had a bit to do with him. Um, seems like of a great fellow. No, not no. Actually, no. Only since I've been working. Um, okay. As in a real job, but um, if you listen to all the boys, they just they rap him so highly. Um, obviously, because he's supposedly um, you know, got some good raps off some of the best coaches in the game, so he's got a good um, pedigree. Good and pedigree. obviously, the defense, as you said, is massive. So it just goes to show um, what sort of impact a good coach can have. Um, he's the attacking with though as well, yeah. He's quite an a, like he's he was the Roosters attacking coach is quite brilliant at that. So you know, yeah. to, obviously defense, yeah. So the head coach is going to be in charge of a lot of the ethers of that team, aren't you? For sure. I think um, sometimes that's a bit overstated though. When you have a system where if if a team structure where they have a head coach and then they have an attack and a defense coach, then that's just because that's the role they give in. It doesn't necessarily mean they're not sort so of they stay in that lane. So if you look at Craig Fitzgibbon, he's been defensive coach and um, absolutely been outstanding. And obviously, like the Bruce's defense is, you know, second none. Um, But that doesn't mean that if Fitzy gets his own team one day, that um, he won't be able to know, he won't know how to attack. Um, And it's a bit like saying with Adam O'Brien, he's been um, at the Storm and the Roosters working on their attack. Um, Those two teams have been the best defenders for 
10, 10 years. So I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. Know pick how to pick a few things up. Yeah, exactly. So anyway. Um, we might have to wrap it up there. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. We would like to have you on again in the future if we're lucky enough to have okay, you. Okay, let's do it. It's um, been a good, good chinwag, been a good chinwag, lad. So happy to jump back on. Again. Mate, yeah, awesome. Yeah, no, nah, thanks, thanks for coming on, Tommy. This has been great to uh, pick your brain, mate, and, and get another little perspective. Other than, you know, we, we and Wiki, you know, can be quite strong in our opinions of things, but you know, we we've got under 19s experience, and that's kind of where we finish. <laughs> um, so, so at the end of the day, we're just a couple of fucking mugs watching footy. But you know, we quite we we enjoy and we think we we know we know a little bit or just enough to ask the right questions. So. I like it. You're, you're doing well. Uh, well, let's catch up for a coffee or a beer soon. Right? Sweet guys. Right, Peace out. Definitely. Thanks, Mate, See you boys. Up that shots. See you, fellas. Yeah. Peace.